Amen and amen. I, uh, I'm so overwhelmed by how in our traditional worship services here, by the time I get up to preach, the, the message of Jesus has already been preached through music every time, and I love that, and I so appreciate that. If you get bored with my message, you could even turn back to the hymn that we just sang a few minutes ago, look at the text, because it's, it's just a different way of saying that which I'm going to say here right this minute. It's good to have you here together. I've been preaching on the, the theme of united, because that's in our name, I'm talking about who we are as First United Methodist Church right here in Marysville. It's in our name because two different denominations of of hundreds and hundreds of churches joined together, the Methodist Episcopal Church, the Evangelical United Brethren Church in 1968. They came together, and they kind of even blended their names, but much more than that, it represents something that we as Christians, regardless of what denomination, what flavor, what tag, what kind of brand you are as a Christian, we're united by this particular idea of salvation through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. That's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. But to get there, I wanted to talk not about this church, but about my grandparents' church. So my grandparents' uh, names were Hubert and Beulah. Beulah had a sister, Edna. You're with me, right? Not names that you hear today a whole lot, but man, back in the day, they were very common. And Hubert and Beulah were deeply devout Christians, and they lived their faith both behind the scenes and in front of people. That's really important, because if they, if they had not, I might not be standing here today, because hypocrisy kills the faith. We know that. It's one of the things that Jesus was most adamant against. He was all awfully gentle with people that were of a sinful background and were just starting to kind of understand what it means that God loves them and that God's providing Jesus as salvation for them. But if people were faking it and they weren't praying prayers of confession and they were like, well, I'm better than you, Jesus was awfully in your face. So my grandparents, they were authentic, they lived their faith, and they were part of of an amazing church. That church was originally Methodist Episcopal, then it became United Methodist in 1968. My parents were there before and after the the, kind of the, the merger, but they would walk to church and when I would stay the night with them, because I didn't live in the same town, when I would stay with them, we would walk together there's grandpa, and I'd hold his hand that was kind of disfigured from World War II. He kind of left some of his body parts over on the, on the battlefield. And so I would hold his hand with a strong reminder of his commitment to his country and to the family and everything. And so we would walk to his church, and he was the Sunday school superintendent. He taught Sunday school, and he kind of under, uh, you know, just kind of um, understood what was going on and kind of kept them all kind of in line together. We'd go to church, and grandma and grandpa... Sometimes, you know, I might go to the the kids' class, but sometimes they would want to kind of show me off as a little kid to their Sunday school class, and, you know, I'd get my peach, my my cheek pinched and that kind of stuff, right? And uh, I would sit there, and and Grandpa would have prepared a lesson. Now, by day, he was a, a corning glass factory superintendent, but then he had bookshelves of Christian books and commentaries, and he would study the Bible, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. It's not just the pastor, right? You know, you can, you can learn, you can teach other people. And so he would do that, and they would sit in these folding metal chairs, and there's some rooms down in our, our basement here, and I look at those, and I say, hey, I, I get it. Like, I, that's very familiar to me. And so we would sit there, he would teach a lesson, then we would go, and, 
and worship together. And they were passionate. They would pray fervently. They'd give generously. They'd sing, you know, with gusto. Like they really believed what was written there. And, uh, and so then outside of the walls of the church, sometimes the Sunday school class would get together for like a picnic or something like that. But that wasn't, that wasn't their only kind of expression of faith. I'd see them sometimes in the mornings. They would have their devotional book or their Bible, and, and I would know that they had engaged that and they had, had prayed that morning. And, and that kind of way of being united them together as a church. And I got to see that as a little, little kid, and I thought, that's pretty amazing. Now, in that particular context, we in our day and age, it may be difficult for us to do church exactly the way that they did it. Some of us can do exactly that, and some of us it has to be a little more creative. But what I was astounded by later on in life, thinking about that, was that they didn't agree on everything. If you talk politics with my grandpa, you may or may not have agreed with him. But his love for you didn't depend on that kind of uniform agreement. And if you talked about, you know, what the best car was, if you talked about the best way to to garden. He had this huge garden, right? He would have very definitive opinions about that. If you talk to grandma about, you know, um, butter, lard, margarine, which one is best, right? You know, she, she would have her opinions. And if you talked about the colors for the, the carpet or the walls and stuff, I mean, they would, they would still have, you know, those kinds of, of disagreements. And yet they stayed united. Why? Because they put primary that which even in the scripture is primary. And everything else they understood was kind of secondary, as I started thinking about that for my own life, the older that I get, the more that I'm curious about what to focus on as a church. This particular part of the Bible is Paul's declaration that if you're going to start a church out of your house or over in India or in Pakistan or in the United States, you better focus on this particular thing. He called it the gospel. He called it the you know, kind of good news of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he summarizes it. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you. Now, remember, gospel means like good news or good tidings, good information, good things, right? The gospel which, which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain, right? <laughs> it's like, holy cow, like this is a really, really big deal to Paul. He goes on to say, for what I received, I passed on to you as of, say that with me, first importance. You see where we're going with this, right? Like there are other things that we talk about in church or other things that we do, other people that lead us in different ways and so forth. Those are all secondary. This is of first importance according to our own scripture that's being written at that time. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The rest that he says just kind of builds on that. Now, that, that's kind of like non-negotiable. Like if you're a Christian, like you have to build on that. If you reinterpret that and it means something different to you and you just kind of start remaking it, then you've moved away from Christianity. It's a free country. You can do that. Just don't call yourself a Christian anymore, right? You come back. <laughs> you just kind of come back to say, wait, this is absolutely primary. This is what we're about. And you're like, well, wait a second. Um, we're a United Methodist Church. Like, is, is it different for us? Do we have a different understanding of that? Because sometimes when you have little labels that go with Christian, sometimes it means something very, very unique and different. And sometimes it even means that you've kind of reinterpreted that kind of gospel story. Is that, is that, what, it, is that what Methodists do? Well, I went back to this guy, John Wesley, 
if you if you have been here for a long time, you're like, okay, I know who that is. But 1700s, um, one of the early guys that was a Christian that other people started calling a Methodist. It wasn't something he first came up with himself. Other people said, boy, you're being awfully methodical about trying to follow Jesus. We'll talk about that next week, what that means. But they were pressing him saying, is Methodist different from other kind of Christians and stuff? What is unique about a Methodist? And here's what he said. In this little writing called Marks of a Methodist, you can look this up online or you can check it out of the library, something like that. Just a, a little writing. The distinguishing marks of a Methodist are not his opinions of any sort. His assenting to this or that scheme of religion, his embracing of any particular notions, his espousing of the judgment of one man or another are all quite wide of the point. It's not on point. That's not the point of being a Methodist. It's not so that you can say, okay, this is what we believe and y'all are losers. You know, nothing like that. It's not supposed to be that way. If it ever becomes that, then again, we're moving away from that which the first Methodists kind of were, were saying, here's kind of where we're at and here's what we're trying to be. He goes on to say, we believe indeed that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. We believe that the written word of God to be only the only sufficient rule, both of Christian faith and practice. We believe Christ to be the eternal supreme God. If we declared the Apostles' Creed a minute ago, you're like, wow, where did... Where did John Wesley get that? (laughs) That's from the early Christians, right? He's just trying to say, look, I'm trying to focus in on those things which were most important to the early Christians. Then he goes on and says, but to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. That's an interesting phrase, right? We think and let think. So that whatsoever they are, whether right or wrong, they are no distinguishing marks of a Methodist. I love that statement. He's like, you're free to make some other statements that may be right or they may be wrong. I'm going to think, I'm going to let think, and be unified on the gospel. It's interesting, right? What's the best car manufacturer in the whole world? <laughs> you know where I'm fishing for that, right? Some of you are like, well, I want to say Honda, but Grandpa worked for GM, and he may be mad at me, right? You know, it's like, wait a second. We can find any number of things to divide us, and that's part of this, the tool of the enemy, right? Let's get us arguing about and dividing over things that even Paul himself would say, wait a second, that's secondary. But if we start moving away from the gospel, the central, central kind of theme of the whole New Testament, then we've, we've gone into territories that it's not only un-Methodist, but it's unchristian. I'm going to summarize kind of this whole idea of the gospel with this fancy word. I was like, we're in the fancy part of the building today. Let me use like a fancy set of words, fancy term. We Christians live a cruciform life of mutual benefit. Cruciform life of mutual benefit. I'll explain what I mean as we kind of get into this. You think about Grandpa's church. They didn't agree about everything. And there were probably things about the town and the community that were hidden as well, because sometimes there have been hidden sins around churches for a long time, right? So there was probably some racism, there's probably some sexism, there's probably some abuse going on in homes that just was never being brought to the forefront. And so over the years, churches, we've been trying to address those things. It's important, we have to. At the same time then, you still make the gospel the center because Jesus died for us. He took all of those sins on himself and then said, hey, now I want you to go love people like I love them. Which means that if an armed band of 
terrorists came in here, they locked all the doors, and they said, we're going to start shooting people one at a time. Who wants to go first? There ought to be a fight among us about who's going to go first. Me. I'll lay down my life before these people. I'll go first. I will sacrifice my life first. Why? Because that's the way our leader lived. He died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who was that? Jesus, right? In the midst of this, then, I was thinking, what's it mean to live that life after the example of Jesus, focused on the gospel? What's a gospel life look like? Could we be unified on that kind of life? And how would we describe it? How would it look for us to live that out in our context? Jesus himself, then, let's, let's kind of go into the cross. Cruciform means like the cross. So Jesus, right before the cross and on the cross, what was his behavior like? Could that root us together and unify us together in how we live? I think so. Let's look at it. My prayer is not for them alone. Jesus is praying for his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in them. I've hit this week after week. Hopefully it's being familiar. Hopefully you're embodying it, remembering it. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The more unified we are on the gospel, the more people that don't know God in that way deeply and are saved through Jesus, the more they will see Jesus as we're unified on that gospel. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is that? That's part of being united via cruciform life. United together means that I have to put down and die to the things that I want to make more important than Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That I want you to agree with me on these things or I want my way. I've got to die to that, die to my own sin, and then be there for you mutually, loving you, trying to be unified, one with God and one with you. In order to do that, I have to die to certain things. That's why we have confession in the bulletin and as we pray together, trying to confess to those things so then we can be united. If we don't, then our personal opinions start doing this, don't they? And we've seen it. Paul saw it in the early church. You start arguing and fighting over things. You've got to die to those, be together. Jesus on the cross Do you remember this passage? When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on the left. And you're like, yeah, I remember, I I remember. Do you remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were aware of the fact that they were killing a guy, right? Like, I don't think that they were like, oh, I was just moving my hand, and Jesus' hand happened to slip underneath there, and I happened to nail him to a part of a tree, right? You know, it's like they knew what they were doing in terms of the vicious act. They didn't fully understand that that's separating them from God, that that's leading to destruction of their own soul. They didn't get all of that. Jesus is willing to pray that they would be forgiven, even as those people are killing him. Now, I don't even like it if you pick on my shoes or my shirt, right? I mean, you know, you know what I mean, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic and it starts to kind of hurt. You know, it's like, wait, I'm trying to go, you know. And Now, imagine somebody coming directly against you, trying to kill you, and you looking at them saying, I forgive you, God forgive them. 
they, they obviously don't totally get it. If they die and they face Jesus and they understand like heaven and hell and all that, then maybe they'll get it. But I, for right now, they just don't quite all get it. That's the cruciform life. United in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection leads to a life that looks awfully different from everybody else. All of a sudden, it's not just about me, it's about we all together. I'm going to help you to know Jesus better. You'll help me to know Jesus better. We're all moving in the same kind of direction of what Jesus is about. Jesus on the cross. One more image. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. <laughs> I wonder if he was the one on the right or the left. <laughs> See the, you, you get it. No, <laughs> I don't know. Um, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, right? Is that mutual benefit? Well, it kind of looks that way, but no, that's selfishness, right? He's like, I just want to get down off this cross so I can go back to stealing or pillaging or whatever it was that he was doing, right? You know, you're supposed to be a revolutionary, Jesus. Get us off this cross, you know? He didn't get it. The other guy did. Then, oops, sorry. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Ah. Did I miss a passage? I guess I did. I'm sorry. Let me read it from here. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now wait a second. Did that guy go to church? Right? Did, did he go to the temple? Did he know the Bible? What was his theology of God? Right? I mean, how do we know? Jesus didn't ask him all those questions. He's like, look, I know that your attitude is that you love me, that you're giving yourself to me, that you want to be... And imagine that faith. This guy knows Jesus is dying on the cross, but he still believes that he's going to come into a kingdom somehow. That little bit of faith, that little bit of faith was enough that Jesus was like, that's good enough for me. I accept you, I love you, I will accept you into my kingdom. I will give you eternal life, would be another way to maybe say that, right? He just needed to know that on the basic of the gospel, this guy was like, there's nothing I can do, I can't, I can't serve people right now, I'm nailed to this cross. I don't know if I've got all the right theology or not, but Jesus, I get it. You're something. You're the Messiah, you've got a kingdom you're establishing, just remember me. And Jesus says, I won't just remember you, I'm going to accept you in it. It's powerful, powerful. That's the kind of cruciform life that then we can live that kind of benefits everybody. We get perverted in our own thoughts of what we really need to be happy. What you need to be happy is connection with God through Jesus and in a, in a situation where you love others and they love you. Like, if you have that, you have everything. We have testimony of people in prison where they have a relationship with God through Jesus, and then they meet with other people that, that know Jesus, and they're like, well, I'd sure like to be out, but at the same time, I've got my priorities straight, and I'll be out for eternity. You see where we're going with this, right? I mean, there are people all around the world right now that when you focus in on this, you have everything that you need, and you viciously protect that kind of unity to say, okay, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. I was listening to that song on the radio on the, on the way in here, and I thought, that's exactly right. There are other things I love about church. There are other things that I get excited about. But at the end of the day, if I'm gasping for air dying, 
the name that I'm going to say is Jesus. I need Jesus, you know? And if I'm tempted to do something stupid that's going to destroy my whole family, I'm going to be praying right then to Jesus, right? I'm not going to be worried about, hey, did I, did I like that or not, you know? And hey, are we all, you know, is it Jesus? I had a horrible, horrible, knockdown, drag out, horrible dream. Just felt like it was just a spiritual oppression days and days ago. Guess who I called upon? Jesus. And then I asked Jennifer, pray, for Je- pray to Jesus for me, right? You know, you ask each other to keep coming back to that whole idea of Jesus. That's the cruciform life of mutual benefit. Here we are. We're united together. I told you about Grandpa's church, Grandma's church. And then I think about this church. And then I get very, very excited. Because here we are. Try to f- find ways to create worship environments where people can come and be together. And we know that you travel around, and we know that different things compete, and we know that it's not like the old days where everybody had Sunday off, and, and it's hard to kind of figure that out, and yet here we are. We're, we're passionately trying to come together and focus on Jesus and to worship Jesus and to be filled with his Holy Spirit and live that kind of cruciform life, loving others as we want to be loved. We're doing that. And it may be that we have to, you know, kind of pull out a smartphone and hit our our church app someday, and you know, you're sitting there with the ball game, but then you, you, you see the message, and maybe you talk to other people. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I see the intentionality that people have here of trying to connect together. And maybe you have to have something at your house or something at work. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's late, late, late at night. I see that kind of hunger, and I see people saying, I want to I love others and have them love me. I want to create that environment. Here we are. We're doing that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then other people, as they look at us, they say, oh, oh, that's what I've been looking for. That kind of relationship with God that Jesus has provided for us. Is that the kind of church that you want this to be? Yes or no? Same here. So I'm united with you, and I'm thankful that you're creating that. And our grandkids and our great-grandkids and our great-great-grandkids will be talking about that which we're doing right now in the years to come. Let's pray together for a moment. And as I pray, I'm going to invite, if we have prayer team partners that want to kind of come up here to the corners, I just want you to come up and throughout the rest of the service, we're going to sing and we're going to close with a benediction. And if you want to, if you want to receive prayer, then you make your way there, either now or while we're singing, doesn't matter. Let's pray together. God, for the requests that have been written on those cards that are going to be prayed for, we pray for them right now, that you would heal, that you would encourage, that you would give guidance. For the people that are here right now saying, oh, now I, now I see what, who Jesus is and I want to follow him, then help them to commit that today, that they'll follow him. And for those that are going to come up and are going to be prayed for, I pray for boldness and courage that people would be willing to come forward and say, okay, before I go home, I've got to connect. I've got to pray with these people that love me. So God, I'm quiet just for a moment as we pray ourselves, and then I'll lead us all in the Lord's Prayer.
And so God, again, if we need to confess something, we confess it. To get that forgiven and to be able to restore a relationship with you. If there's something we're committing to do, Lord, then I pray that you would help us to be faithful to that. Unite us together with the love and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The power of his Holy Spirit coming within us, leading us, and guiding us. As we respond to you and as we sing, we pray that you would move in our midst. For you are our Heavenly Father that loves us more closely and more dearly than anyone on this earth. And so to you we pray that Lord's Prayer saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And I invite you to stand as we sing our final hymn, Joyful, joyful we adore thee, directly to the Lord we sing. Amen.